we're actually finishing up our series on act like a Christian. Everybody say act like a Christian. Turn to that person next to you and say act like a Christian. Um, and today as we close it out, here's the title of today's teaching. You ready? And it's called On Mission. The early church, the OC, the original Christians lived every day on mission. On mission. In other words, they were missional. They were not just going to church on Sundays and then going and living their little lives, doing whatever, you know, kind of came to mind, living through culture and trying to be like everyone else in culture. They were on a mission. The moment they had encounters with the Lord, they began to be on mission. And that has been lost, in my opinion, in the modern church. We kind of go to church, we get a little bit, a little, a little pumped up a little bit, and then the rest of the week we live every day just in the normal activities of the day. And culture literally drives us, moves us, and I'm telling you, it's time to come out of culture and come into the kingdom business and start living on mission. Are you with me today? Say yes. So let's read through the scriptures. Uh, we're going to turn to Acts chapter 22 as you turn there with me. We're going to read a little bit of the word of God. Is it okay to read the Bible in church? Are you guys okay with that? Good. I want to make sure that I'm pastoring Christians. And so as we jump into Acts chapter 22, let me just give you a little bit of uh, set this passage up so you know where it's coming from. Uh, last week we were looking into and really uh, extracted from Acts 21. Remember where Paul had been doing all these missionary journeys. He comes back to Jerusalem. He meets with the Jerusalem leadership and they say, hey, Paul, you really, we need you to submit to something. You've really been, uh, you're being misappropriated. People are lying about you, saying that you're telling Jewish people that, uh, that they can break out of the, the teachings of the Torah, uh, you know, as, as Jewish culture uh, and our, our connection with Father God, with our, you know, having our children be circumcised. Paul said, I'm not teaching that at all. They said, we know that. So we want you to go to the temple and do, these, um, do this Nazarite vow piece with these young men. Pay for it. And as Paul is there doing the, he submits to the leadership. It was a great teaching last week about submission. Um, if you weren't here last week, you probably don't want to learn about submission. No, I'm just kidding. You want to go back and get that teaching. It'll really help you transform your life. I know it's that teaching has transformed my life. And so Paul literally is in the temple making sacrifices in a group of, of just little devils. I mean, they see him and they accuse him from past things and they create a riot Literally, they create a riot and start falsely accusing him there at the temple in front of everybody. So people are all joining these, these Jews from Asia, that, what they were saying. And they're literally wanting to destroy uh, Paul. And when that happens, the Roman authorities, it's kind of like having, to, having the popo called on you, they show up. And like you've seen in these kind of riot moments, if you've ever seen footage of this, they just go to the moment, the, the police or the authorities go to wherever that's coming from, and they just grab Paul because he seems to be the center of this. And they literally handcuff him or whatever, and they're putting him in the paddy wagon. And then in the middle of that, Paul says, can you give me a second? I want to say something to the crowd. And this is where we pick up in verse 2. Uh, Paul starts speaking to the crowd. The crowd kind of dies down in all of their violence because the popo is there, because the Romans are there. And, uh, and so let's pick up in verse 2. It says, and when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic. So he, he starts speaking in their Jewish language to all these Jews. Okay, because they they are lying and saying that here he is being uh, bringing uh, satanic Gentile type things into the temple of God. That's kind of what they're accusing him of in that moment. It says they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, 
uh, but brought up in this city, talking about Jerusalem, under Gamaliel, which to this day is still considered one of the greatest rabbis in Jewish history. I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way, this Christian stuff, to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. Uh, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. They can tell you what I did. I was, I was all about it. I was right there in the middle of it with you. I even obtained letters uh, from them to their brothers in Damascus. And I went there to bring these people, these Christians, the way followers, the mess messianic Jewish followers of, if you will, Yeshua, uh, as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Verse 6, he says, And about noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. Now, he's talking to them in Aramaic, so they all get quiet, and they're listening as he tells his story. He says, And I fell, verse 7, to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? In verse 8, Who are you, Lord, I ask? I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And he who was speaking to me, um, excuse me, verse 9, My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord, I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. Remember that, assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the bright light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one. God picked you to get to engage with Jesus Christ supernaturally, unbelievable. This is God's hand, this work, and to hear words straight from his mouth. Verse 15, and you will be his witnesses, uh, his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Everybody say seen, seen. and heard. You'll be his witness of all that all men to all men of what you have seen and heard. And as he continues to share about how he stood there as they were murdering Stephen, all of a sudden the crowd loses their mind because he's basically he's basically saying we did this. Y'all were a part of it. I was a part of it. Stephen was murdered right there. We stoned him to death for no good reason. And when he does this, when he makes this last little piece. Continuing on, they lose their mind. They go in back into riot mode. And so then what happens is the soldiers take him. They take him to jail, if you will. And just to satisfy the, the fact that, you know, here's this group of people, these Jewish people who are always causing trouble in the Roman Empire, they would just beat them. And so they had made plans. They were about to beat him. They were about to scourge him, the cat of nine tails thing, when all of a sudden Paul, Saul, looks at them and says, is it right for you to do this to a Roman citizen? They went, you're a Roman citizen? Well, yeah, but we just heard you say you were Jewish. <laughs> yeah, I'm both. I, have, I, I was born uh, as a Roman citizen because who my dad is. And they were like, whoa. And from this point forward, the rest of the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul going from one trial to another trial to another trial. He ends up standing in front of the most prestigious people on the planet within the Roman, within the Roman government. He goes for multiple years in prison, then a little bit out of prison, then back in prison, and ultimately Nero beheaded him. But Paul, every part of the last, these last few chapters of the book of Acts 
It all is pointing to how Paul lived on mission. He was on a mission. I'm going to share what I have, what I have seen, and what I've heard. I will share that everywhere I go because God was wanting to give every great leader of that society no excuse. You have no excuse when you stand before me because my servant, my servant Paul, my servant Saul spoke what he saw and he heard because he constantly lived, if you will, on mission and completely on mission. The original church, the original Christians lived on mission. They recognized that God has done such a work in my life that I have to give that that testimony to everyone I come in contact with. Do you understand that every, um, uh, every person in the earth could be saved if the people who call themselves Christians would share their faith with just one person a year? In five to seven years, we'd win the whole world. Did you know that? The problem with the modern church is that we don't live on mission. We live in, in society and in culture, and culture tells us how to live. Go to, go to your job, work your job, come home, work on your house, you get more money so you can build a nicer house so that you can have the perfect American dream, 2.5 kids with a boat and maybe a jet ski and you get to go to exotic places periodically on vacation and this is the American dream. Frank, can I tell you something? That is not the dream of heaven. That is, some, that is, a, that is a trick because you and I have but one shot at this life and then we'll spend eternity with him forever. And I tell you, I don't know about you, but but I don't want to live embarrassed for eternity going, Lord, I could, have, I could have shared with that one person and they're burning in hell and I never took the time to just tell them what you had done in my life. Are you with me today? Say yes. And so this is why I'm so passionate every year about trying to get you to go on a short-term mission trip. And I'll tell you why. Because I believe we should live on mission. I'm not talking about like, you know, like Jehovah Witnesses knocking on people's doors every day kind of thing. I'm talking about who are we? Why are we here? What will matter at the end of this age? What will really be of value? God has changed your life. He has transformed your life so that others will see the light in you and come to, your, to our Savior, Jesus Christ. But we hide that light under a bushel, as the scripture says, and it must be let loose. And so what I do and what we do here at the church is I beg you to go on a short-term mission trip because a short-term mission trip ignites that thing inside of all of us to live differently. It, it changed my life. The first time when I was 14 years old, I went on a short-term mission trip to Haiti, the poorest country in our hemisphere. And as I laid there at night, having seen the most horrific, difficult way of living imaginable, you want to talk about when I saw five-year-olds living on the street huffing glue with no parents because, because their teenage parents could not take care of them and they just abandoned them to the streets. When I saw the pain, the poverty, and I, I'm wearing my little jabos. Y'all don't know about that, 80s. I'm wearing my little jabos and my brand new Nike shoes on a missions trip. And I'm laying there in squalor trying to go to sleep and worried about who's going to stab me and all this kind of worried about my little blonde hair. I had blonde hair in those days. And my little braces. And I'll never forget the little kids touching the metal in my teeth. They had never seen that. They'd never seen that. And I'll never forget something shifted inside of me. And I had a revelation. What does life matter? What is life? What is the goal of my life, especially as a believer? 
And so that shook me. And so from that point forward, I was like, I've got to get people missional. I've got to help the church come alive to say every day I live for the kingdom business. Every day I'm going to share what's been given to me, what I've experienced. If I just share that with others, they will have an opportunity to accept or deny the living Savior. And that's why we do these short-term mission trips to try to get you just, just motivated and something shift inside of you. In fact, I want to thank you. Because there are many of you that went this year on our short-term mission trip. In fact, I've got just a little clip, just a little clip of some of the footage of some of the trips that went this summer. Can y'all play that for them for just a few seconds? I want them to see what it looked like. that you can clap for all those families I'm so proud of them and every one of those families have told me the same thing pastor it changed our family it was much better than giving our money to Disney it changed our family changed the way we interact as a family it changed what mattered every day when we wake up and every night when we go to bed it changed it did something inside of us in fact this next summer 2024 we've already lined up some trips and you'll see them on the screen in a little QR code I would suggest maybe you pull up your phone grab the QR code and then in the months to come you can decide maybe it's something you can do next year to kind of change your family dynamic kind of get your family living missional because this is what I've learned when there is no purpose in life any sin any wickedness will do to replace a purposeless life I live on purpose. I live on mission every day. So it doesn't matter to me what ha horrible thing happens because it's all part of the mission. It's all part of living a life full of purpose and having, some, having destiny stamped on my, on my heart every morning when I wake up. And so when we look in these holy scriptures, we see that the early church or the original Christian, they lived on mission. And in verse 15, we really see what our mission is. Verse 15, he says to Paul, he says, you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Do you know that's almost a replica of what Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says about us. Jesus speaking to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, listen, go to Jerusalem, wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And then he says in verse 8, and you will receive power after which the Holy Spirit has come upon you or comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea Samaria and to the ends of the earth do you know what the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of us is really for so that we can be like Jesus that we can be his witnesses we can say wait a minute I know what he's like that's wrong what Oprah said is not right she's got that miss no that's not exactly right what so-and-so said is not exactly right. I'm so sorry. Even if that pastor said that, that's, I am a witness. I've experienced him. I know him. I know what he's done for me. I know what he's done in me. I know what he's done for my family. I know how he changed the trajectory of my family. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. You cannot change my mind that Jesus is real, that heaven is real, that the earth will burn away one day. You can't change my mind. 
Because I've lived in squalor. I've lived in brokenness. And I know what it is to have the loving Savior pour out his Holy Spirit inside of me and change every motive of my heart, change every desire of what I thought life was all about and give me a purpose and a plan and a beautiful family and every trial and tribulation we've gone through. He's picked me up and held on to me as we walk through it together. And I got some scars, but those scars are nothing more than testimonies of how he'll bring us through in the midst of difficulty. I know him. And so I live every day on mission. I live every day on mission. You got to know him too. You got to know him too. Not because I'm the preacher. You don't pay me for that. You can't pay me enough for that. There's no money on this planet that would cause me to have the kind of courage and the boldness in which is required to be able to share with broken people about the loving Savior. I'm going to tell you what that comes from. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit at work in me, waking me up early, putting me on my knees to cry out for the person I just met over at, the, at, at that uh, restaurant the other day. Putting me on my face, crying out that they would have another divine encounter with the Lord our God. And I love that when, when we look in Scripture, witnessing is not how I grew up. See, when I grew up in the church in the 80s, witnessing meant you went out witnessing. Didn't mean that you were a witness. We were trained that you had to witness. And we learned us some Roman road. I'm going to tell you that. I don't know how many of y'all remember that. But we memorized the Roman road. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Brother, you're going to go to hell because you are wicked. All of us have sinned. You're not any better than me, and I'm not any better than you. And we would go tell people that. Then we'd take them to Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. Because you're a sinner, you're going to die and go to hell forever. Hell. You're going to do it. It's going to happen. Romans 6, 23 says that. But Romans 6, 23 also says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And then we'd move them on into Romans 5 and 8. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so even though you're a sinner and you deserve hell and death, taking them through the Romans road, even though you deserve hell and death, God sent his only begotten son. Before you even wanted him, before you would even repent of your sins, he died for you. And then we then would take them to Romans 10, 9, which I quote just about every altar call, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We'd take them through the Romans road. Look, we had it down to a science. We'd have these little uh, wristbands that had the colors on them. And we'd say, see that black right there? That's the color of your heart. You're going to die and go to hell with the sinfulness inside of you. Oh, but let me help you with something. Let me tell you, if you'll repent, see this red? That's the blood of Jesus that wash away all your sins. If you'll repent, then that red, that blood of Jesus will cover you and the Father will look down on you. He won't see the wickedness of your old nature, but he'll see the forgiveness based on the blood of Jesus, sacrifice for your sin. And then what that'll do is that blood will wash your white as snow. We got that white color next, that white as snow. Oh, you'll be driven. You'll be as pure as, as, as pure snow. And ooh, let me tell you something. Under the blood of Jesus and the goodness of God, you'll start green. You'll start growing in God and you'll start healing the sick and raising the dead oh you see that gold color that's the heavenly floor that you're going to be walking on for the rest of your existence well we had it down to a science the problem was after you had had some crazy Christian do that to you about four or five times you're like I'm good never mind huh? it's like when the Jehovah Witnesses knock on your door like uh, I'm good I already got the watchtower it comes in the mail I don't need it it just, you know, it just kind of, and the reason why is because we were so busy trying to witness that we weren't being missional. We thought that the mission was to go out and make converts. That's not at all what he told Paul. He said, just, you are going to witness. In other words, you're going to share what you've seen and heard. That's what a witness is. 
get them on the stand. They said, man, I don't know nothing about it. All I know is I was sitting there at that red light, and your boy came flying through. And all of a sudden, he swerved and hit that pole right there and hit that lady's car. And all of a sudden, stuff started flying. All I know, I don't know, I don't know if he's a good dude or a bad dude. All I know is what I've experienced, what I saw. This is missional life. All I know is what, I, what I've seen, what I've experienced. I've got a friend. His name is Dr. Michael Brown. He's brilliant. He's a Jewish man who was, uh, who, who was a heroin addict in the 70s, got radically saved, came to Christ, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, became a revivalist, continued on in his doctoral studies. So he's got a doctorate degree in Hebraic studies or Hebraic, the Hebraic language. So when he says uh, the Bible means this, he knows what he's talking about. He didn't have to go look at the commentation. He's like, oh, no, this is what it means. This is what it says. He's a brilliant mind. He's brilliant. When Dr. Brown is around me, I have conversations with him about how he argues doctrine and theology at the highest level with people who are literally trying to destroy Christianity. And the whole time he's talking, I'm like, I don't have what he has. I don't know what he knows. Are you with me? That doesn't make me ineffective to witness and share what I have to those who need what I have. And this has been the lie for so many believers. I don't know what pastor has. So we drag them to the church and say, fix them. That, that is not Christianity. You are light in a darkened world. God has put you right where he's meant you to be. And your story is your story. The fact that you grew up in church and you turned away from God. And then you come back to the Lord. And your whole family now is serving the Lord. And you're still working through some things. That's your story. That's your witness. The goodness of God in the midst of your rebellion. In the season that you went through. That's your story. And literally God has a plan for your story to reach someone that no one, none of the rest of us can reach. I reach people who Dr. Brown could never reach. He reaches people that I could never reach. Why? Because my story is my story. He's made me to be a light in certain areas that other light will not shine into. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. This is why the entire book of Acts is literally summarized by the fact that they lived on mission. Every day they woke up and shared their story. This is why they had daily salvations in Acts chapter 2. It says daily salvation. People were getting saved like crazy. Why were they getting saved? Not because the apostles were so great, because people were saying, dude, you got, bro, oh my, oh, bro, bro, you got to come have lunch with me. You're not going to believe what's happened to me. You're not going to believe it. I found, I found it. I found what life was all about. I, 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 sometimes I have struggles, but, but man, I'm telling you, you got to find, you got to see what I see. Let me tell you about it. And people are going, I want that. What are you talking about? Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for. The real Savior, he's been here the whole time and I missed it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then you see, not only are each and every one of us, we have a mission. And our mission is simply to share our story. That's our mission. But then we see in this passage as well, in verse 10, that we also have an assignment. Verse 10 of chapter 22 that we just read, it says, And there you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. Paul said, I was in this moment with God. I was literally fighting against the plan of God for my life. I was, I was putting Christians in jail. And, and, and Jesus himself had an encounter with me. He had an encounter with me and it blinded me. And then he sent me into the city and a prophet, a, a man of God came and he laid hands on me. And all of a sudden I could see it. He's testifying. He's sharing his experience. And the man of God tells him prophetically, this is what God says. You will be told 
all that you need to be, you've experienced all that you needed to experience, and I will show you the assignment that I have for you. See, every one of us have assignments. We live on mission every day. My mission, every day your mission should be to help others know the goodness of what God's done in your life so that they can see the living God in the way that is pure and not and unadulterated and not wrapped in some type of and some type of theological hierarchy and some type of religious piece but everyday people who've experienced the the one and only true God and as Paul is expressing what happened to him he recognized that he was given an assignment I've been given multiple assignments throughout my life so you may have an assignment right now that may change in days to come if you if you work at a certain job you have an assignment if you work at Walmart, you have an assignment that every one of those employees know the goodness of God. That's your assignment. Your mission is to always share and witness or to share what you've experienced, what you've seen, and what you've heard. But your assignment changes periodically throughout life. In fact, my first assignment was young people. Loved it. Loved it. When God moved me from that into doing missions work, loved that too. It was still had a little bit of the young people peace attached to it, but it was so exciting. And then I, then I ran a Bible school. That was my assignment. And then I'm pastoring you guys. My assignment has changed, but the mission has never changed. It may just a little bit. So you're not working at that job anymore. So now you're at another job, and that group of people need to know the goodness of God by which you have experienced how good he is and what he's done for your life. We all end up with assignment. Years ago... Uh, when my kids were still young, I was traveling and I was doing a lot of conferences and I had this message the Lord had given me about a man named Shama. The Bible talks about in, in the book of Samuel, these mighty men of valor, David's mighty men and some of the great things they did. And one of them was a man by the name of Shama. It says that he defended a field all by himself when a whole troop of Philistine soldiers attacked. And the whole point was that he defended this field and this field of beans. And I started researching about this field of beans. I thought they must be magic beans. They must be gold beans. Why would a dude by himself defend a field of beans? And guess what? I did deep research on it. Guess what kind of beans they were? Worthless. They were of no value. It'd be like you know, picking you know, blackberries on the, side of, uh, on the side of the road or something. In fact, the people allowed those beans. Normal, everyday people didn't eat the beans. It, this was like government cheese. This was like handout food. This was like, like they would let the homeless people have those beans in those fields. And so I proposed the point, why did Shama put his life in danger for that field? And my, my, my supposition was that because it was his field. It was his field. And he was willing to die for what was his responsibility, his assignment. And I began to challenge Christians around the nation. What field have you been entrusted with? Why you don't like your field? You keep going, I wish I was over here. And I wish you live in that neighborhood. And there's that kid that lives down the street without a dad in his life. And you drive past him every Sunday morning as he's standing out there shooting hoops. And you've never once stopped to help him. And it's your field. And when we stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he's going to say to you, why did you let your field get destroyed by the Philistines? Why didn't you defend your field? And the Bible literally says that Shama was able to do a supernatural work because he defended the field. And so I'm preaching this all over. And I'll never forget my eighth grade son who's being homeschooled. I mean, he, I mean, he is a great kid, and he's being homeschooled. He comes to me. He's going into ninth grade, and he goes, Dad, I know who my field is. I was like, what son? Cedar Hill High School. I was like, dear Jesus. I'm like, are you sure, son? Because he's been homeschooled the last few years. I'm like, I mean, 
you're a homeschool kid now. I mean, like, I don't know if I, I haven't trained you on how to be around a bunch of big kids who don't live the way we live. And he's like, Dad, it's my field. I'm supposed to go there and help them know Jesus. I was like, let's go. I'll never forget. Signed that boy up for that school. My son went into that school. They called him, they called him, because, uh, uh, you know, he, had, he has blonde hair and he's got a red beard and, and he's got blue eyes. And so, you know, they, they, they had a little nickname for him. What did they call him? They called him Little, uh, uh, it's one of the superheroes, you know. Anyway, yeah, little, little, little Thor. I think they called him Baby Thor or something like that. And so, uh, and so my son started sharing the light of God with these young people. He started getting them saved. They started coming to our youth group one at a time, one at a time. I would meet parents in the city at events, and they go, your son's Cohen McCain? I'm like, yeah, your son has changed our family. I'm like, what? Yeah, my son was getting in a bunch of trouble, and your son befriended him, and now everything has changed. The dynamic of our family has changed because my son's now doing good with his grades and he's going over to your youth group sometimes with your son. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm telling you something. He caught a hold that he had an assignment. He had an assignment. Now, if he tries to go back to high school right now, they're going to kick him out as a predator. <laughs> 25 years old, married. I'm like, don't be, what you doing? <laughs> right? That assignment is over, but he's still ministering to young people. His mission has remained the same even though the assignment changes. Wherever you work, that's your assignment. Wherever the neighborhood you live in right now, that's your assignment. Whatever followers you have on social media, that's your assignment. That can change, but the mission remains the same, and that is to share and witness all that I have seen and that I have heard. And it, embarrassed me, it embarrasses me as a pastor to see Christians in my church to go on their social media and go, my God, they share more about culture than they do about what God has done in their life. They know more about what this person over here said who's a God-hater than they know about what Jesus has said about them and what has transformed in their life. And this is why we have a dark, dark world because light has been hidden under a bushel. And it's time to let that light loose. It's time to get on mission. Are you with me today? Say yes. So let me give you some signs that you've gotten off of mission. That you're off a of mission, okay? Let me give you some signs to help you a little bit. So you go, ooh, that's, yeah, pastor, I've gotten off mission. Number one, here's the first sign you've gotten off a of, uh, mission, and that is wicked habits begin to dominate your life again. Wicked habits begin to dominate your life. I've got a scriptural precedence for this. We know, uh, anybody know the story of David and Bathsheba? For you guys that don't know about David and Bathsheba, David's God's man. God has, been, has picked him since he was a little boy to be the next king. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David has become king. And the Bible talks about how they're all going off for war, but David held back and he said, you know what, I'm just going to stay home. Y'all go off to fight the battle. No big deal. I'm just chill out. And the Bible says he wakes up afternoon. Afternoon. That joker done played all night long and then gets up in the middle of the day. He goes out on his balcony and he sees this woman bathing on the top of her roof. Culturally, everyone knows the women would bathe in the middle of the day on the top of their roof while every, all the men were out in the fields working. David steps out there. It's like, ooh, I accidentally saw porn. No, you clicked on it, stupid. He walks out, and he sees, her, he sees her bathing, and because he's king, he says, go get this woman from me. He has sexual relationships with her, ends up impregnating her, and then kills her husband to hide his sinfulness. It is the greatest failure in David's life. It, is, it created more difficulty for the kingdom of God because of this one moment. And if you back up, 
right before he does all this, it says, in the time when kings go out to war. He got off a mission. He got off a mission. He wasn't, he wasn't sharing anymore. He wasn't doing what he was. He wasn't fulfilling the assignment that he had. He wasn't sharing God's goodness and standing out on that battlefield with his men. God will give us victory today against the heathen who come against the people of God. He wasn't doing that. He was at home. Scrolling through TikTok. Next thing you know, he's sleeping with a woman who's not his wife. He literally perpetrated murder and destruction because he got off a mission. I can tell you all the time, I look at people and I go, ooh, you're really struggling with some stuff right now. The problem's not the stuff. The stuff is always the stuff. The problem is you've gotten off a mission. Because when you're in mission, that stuff just doesn't have, it doesn't tempt you. It doesn't have the same shine. A, a hungry fish doesn't bite the bait that you throw out there. Uh, excuse me, a fish that's not hungry, that's been fulfilled. A hungry fish, because it's not been fed, because it doesn't have anything going on in its life, goes looking at that thing that shines with a hook in it. And so men and women are tempted because they haven't been on mission. When you get out on mission, you start loving people. And you start sharing something. And so all of a sudden, somebody, a co-worker comes to you and says, I've been watching you for two years. And for two years, you're always on time. What is that about you? And you say, listen, man, I used to not be like that. I had this encounter with the living God. And I've been growing in the things of God. He's changed my very nature. And I'm telling you, I love him. This Bible, it's not a, it's not a rules and regulation things for me. It's the life source of me. And they go, dear God, I've never had anybody talk to me like that, right? But I want you to know, one day you go stand in front of him. You can choose him now because later it will be too late. And all of a sudden their lives get changed because of your witness, because you share what you have seen and heard. Signs that you're off mission, number one, wicked habits begin to dominate. Number two, you're unfulfilled. Nothing satisfies you. Got a new house, still not satisfied. Got a promotion at, job, at work, still not. Got, got that doctorate degree finally finished up, still not. Some, it's just this dissatisfaction. Why? Because there is power and purpose. When, when we're on mission, when we're living purposeful lives for Jesus Christ, there's something about that that is so fulfilling. And he makes, uh, it fills those places in our hearts and, and those fears and insecurities just dissipate because I'm on mission. Found this article by a man by the name of Adam Lane Smith. He's a, a psychotherapist with John Hopkins. And he did this study on the, he was doing this study on the difference between men and women and how they, how they deal with depression and the depths of depression. And in his research, he came across some great truths. And he published this in the uh, Social Science and, and, and Medical Journal a few years back. And he referred to this moment during World War II. It was an unbelievable study. He found that there was a moment in the middle of World War II when the Germans were bombing London. And if you know anything about that, they called it the Blitz. Anybody know that term? And what the, what the Germans would do is they couldn't really bring troops uh, across the water. into, So they just started trying to discourage all the English people that lived in London, the, the, if you will, the, the, the command center. And so they started just, they would bomb every night. They'd just blitz them, just get as high up in their planes and just drop them on London. Boom, boom, boom. And Adam Smith came across this situation that had been happening through all the bombings and different things. Uh, excuse me, throughout the war, there were these men and women who had gone into such depression that they became catatonic. 
They weren't in a coma. They were catatonic. They could eat. They could, they could, they could eat the food, but they were gone. They couldn't talk to you. They couldn't engage with you. And they literally had entire wards of people that were catatonic. It's so losing their loved ones, losing their homes, being in the middle of, a, of, of, of the second war and their homes and their livelihoods and their way of living had been so shaken that they literally went catatonic. They just, their brain shut down. But in the middle of this blitz, what happened was the leadership of of, of England began to cry out if there's anyone who can help us because every time they bomb us in these splits all we have all these buildings set on fire and we've got too many men out on the on the lines of the troops and we don't have enough people helping us put the fires out and they begin to call for that and they begin to call for that and all of a sudden in one evening of one of these blitzes scores and scores of these catatonic men and women all of a sudden came to their senses just woke up out of it as they were being hearing all of these people coming over the broadcast if anyone can come help anyone because they play the radio anyone could come help and all of a sudden these people came out of this catatonic state jumped out into their clothes and went out into the burning fires putting fires out driving fire trucks all because in a moment purpose came aboard all of a sudden they woke up and said there's a reason worth living and dying for I will help other people in the midst of fire and tragedy I can do something they came out of a cata catatonic state and I'm telling you the church in America is in a catatonic state we just the fires are burning all around us and we're just mental health issues and this issue and this issue and I'm telling you it's because we're not on mission and the moment we get on mission all of a sudden you say you know what it doesn't matter how much money I do or don't make doesn't matter where we live or don't live there are people that are gonna die and go to hell forever and I've got to share my faith I've got to share what I've experienced. I've got to tell them what God has done for me so that they don't end up in the place that, in, that the, the devil and all of the angel, the demonic angels are being sent to. Hell was not created for us. It was in our rebellion that we then are cast into that place, if you will, with, us, with Satan and all the fallen angels. And so when you and I start sharing the truth of God, all of a sudden purpose comes alive inside of us. All of a sudden purpose. You... you I would, I'd never wanted to be a pastor because I didn't want to be poor. And then I moved to Texas and was like, wow, these pastors are rich. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> when God called me into ministry, it came not from a place of personal benefit, but from an opportunity that men and women would not lose their lives for eternity. And I saw it. And I was like, I'll give my life to that. Every one of us should be living on mission. All of us have different assignments. But when you're missional, when you're living, when you wake up every day and say, Lord, I know you're going to take care of finances for me. I know you're going to take care of my family. I just need you to point me who you want me to share with today. I just need to not miss a moment with the boss that I have to be sure that I share my story with him and share your goodness with him. I'm just telling you, this is not a sermon on being a, going out witnessing. This is what the early church lived. They were awakened to the truth that every day I'm on mission. That none should perish, but all come to eternal life. Motivated them. It's the reason why they went to their deaths, were martyred, and they did it with smiling faces. Because they knew that there was an eternal ramification that all men would know Christ that they were sent into a darkened world to shine forth light. Here's a third sign that you're off mission, and that is you can't find joy. You can't find joy. Oh, when someone's on mission, 
they smile in the midst of their pain. They can be going through something tragic, but they're on mission. They live missional. They live for God to share his truth to a lost and dying world. Paul said, I've learned wherewith to be content. When I had plenty, when I had nothing. Why? Because I'm on mission. I am going out making sure that anyone I come in contact with knows the love of Christ. I'm just sharing my story. And I just can't help it. I was talking to one of my favorite members of Hill City, Miss Mona, sitting right there. Uh, Friday night, and she came running up to me like she always does. Pastor, I have a story for you. She, I, she has a story every three days because she's missional, because she lives on mission. Anybody who knows Mona knows what I'm talking about. She said, Pastor, I went to the grocery store, and while I was there, I met, um, I met this young lady who worked there, and I just got to talking to her for a second. She said, can I ask you something? And I said, sure. And I may get it wrong, and she may want to care. She goes, where does all this passion come from? And Mona was like, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and she starts sharing her story. And if you know Mona's story and what she went through in her childhood, what the, the tragic early childhood life that she, that she survived because of the goodness of God and the horror that no child should ever go through that she went through, you would be dumbfounded. She starts into that story. That young lady gets called away to go finish her job. And and so Mona said, well, maybe I'll see you again sometime. And um, a couple of days later, within the same week, if I remember how you told it, you went to the doctor's office, to a beauty supply store, and she walks in, and guess who's working at the beauty supply store? The girl from the grocery store. She's got two jobs. And Mona's like, I think I'm here for you. And she goes, let's finish the story I was telling you. And the young lady was like, please, I never met someone with such... Passion, joy. And Mona shares her, her story, and that young lady goes, I need what you've got. She didn't take her through the Romans road. She didn't take her through the color band. She didn't theologically unhinge everything that's wrong with LGBTQ and something, 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 and Trump, no Trump, vax, no vax. She, she just shared what she had seen and heard. And what she had been through. And there were people all around that it wasn't for them. Mona had an assignment from heaven for this young lady. And she took full advantage of being on mission and sharing her story. And this is why every time I see this woman, she's so full of life. She's so happy. Pastor, guess what? I just got diagnosed with something terrible, but I know God's going to heal me. And I'm like, wow. Wow. Some of us. You can tell someone who's not on mission. I mean, listen, third world problems. My car battery went out. Is there a God in heaven? It's amazing. But when you're on mission, you're like, ah, my car battery went out. So that means I'm going to meet somebody at AutoZone today that I got to share with. Missional living is what the original Christians did. It's how they acted. You didn't get around an original Christian without them going, hey, um, can I tell you something? I'll tell you what happened to me back in the day. You can be sitting on an airplane for seven hours next to a modern Christian and never know they're a Christian. This is broken. In 2,000 years, we don't look like the original Christians anymore. And this is why we don't have miracles, signs, and wonders. People ask me all the time, how come we don't see miracles like they did in the book of Acts? I said, because we don't live like they did in the book of Acts. 
We don't live like they did. If we lived like they, they did, we'd have what they had. Which brings me to this next one, and that is the last and final sign that something has been broken or that we're not all on mission anymore, and that is we're powerless. We're powerless. Back to the Acts 1.8. Let's, let's kind of dissect that verse for just a second. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, colon. So it's still in the same train of thought, right? The colon doesn't mean that the thought has ended. You put a period if you're ending the thought, and then you start a new sentence. So it's the same. In the original Greek, it's, it's all in the same concept. So you will receive power after which the Holy Spirit's come upon you to be my witnesses. The power of the Holy Spirit at work for us, it's not for our own selfish ambition. It's not just for our own selfishness. It's so that we can be a witness, so that we can be like Jesus was, so that we could do what Jesus did. The early church understood that I had the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me so that I can heal the sick and raise the dead, not so I can... Be, start a ministry of healing the sick, raising the dead ministry so I can get a lot of people giving to my ministry so I can have a big mansion so that I can fly on private airplanes to do personal ministry to big kings and, pre, and, and important people around the nations. They understood I have the power of the Holy Spirit at work inside of me to do powerful things so that all men may know that Jesus is Lord. And wherever I'm at, in Judea, Samaria, and to the othermost parts of the earth, power flowing through us. Miss Sandy is our head intercessor here at Hill City. And Miss Sandy, I walked with her uh, and her husband as he lost his life to cancer a number of years ago. Last year, I believe it was, Miss Sandy fought through cancer and got healed of it. She's a woman of God. My father-in-law was being diagnosed with cancer, and he had a real bad bout two weeks ago while I was in El Salvador. And I couldn't go pray with him because I was in another country. So I just, and many of you were praying for him. Thank you so much. And my mother-in-law asked Sandy, would you just go up to the hospital? Um, this was last Sunday. Would you just go up to the hospital and just sit with him? Sandy said, sure, I'll do that for you. So she was sitting in the hospital. My father-in-law's on the ventilator, and he's, you know, he's, he's real groggy and, and not really conversing. And Sandy all of a sudden felt like, I'm going to lay my hands on him. And she lays her hands now, the doctors have been preparing us. He's probably not going to make it. That's what he's been telling my mother-in-law. And then they're relaying that to me. And then I'm having you pray, so thank you. And Sandy lays her hands on him. My father-in-law says, something happened when she touched me and started praying. I felt power come into my body. He'd been in there already two weeks with no hope of leaving. That was Sunday they sent him home Monday. This is Christianity. If you're not experiencing that, it's probably because you're not on mission. The power flows to the mission. It flows in those of us who are in mission. When we, loving not our lives, even unto the death, but that friend, that coworker, that new person I just met, that guy at the restaurant, there's a, God has a, something for them, and I just got to share what I know. I can't share what I don't know and what I haven't experienced, but I can share what I know. And the power begins to flow through that to transform a life. I was meeting with Jack and Nicole Clark. Nicole did our little seminar on prophecy a couple Saturdays ago. I was with them this past Wednesday. And she said, Pastor, you're not going to believe what happened to me the other day. I said, what? She goes, I was 
you know, kids playing soccer, her middle child's playing soccer. She said, I was on the soccer, at, at the soccer game. I was just kind of standing on the sidelines clapping, and, and I would go sit down and then clap and that kind of stuff and stand on. And she said, this woman walked up to me. She goes, I'm Muslim. <laughs> They're going, okay. And she says, but there's something about you. What is it? And she said, well, I'm a Christian. Let me tell you how I became a Christian. I didn't grow up Christian. Let me tell you what happened. And after she shared what she had seen, come on, and heard, this woman says, I want what you have. The power flows when we're on mission. I beg and plead with you as I close out this series that you would sign up for mission with me. That you get back on mission. What does it matter if you have a nice car or big degrees? If everyone around us is dying and going to hell. Only 4% of Americans are true Christians. So 96% are dying and going to hell. Because they've never seen a true witness. A pure witness like you. Get out of culture. Get on mission. And then infect culture. We were sent into this world to affect culture, not culture affect us. We rise above the problems of culture. We are encapsulated in the midst of the storms like Noah and the ark. When we're on mission, we see power flow through us. Joy that can't be explained. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. When we're on mission, all the temptations that our flesh used to love so much, they just don't have the same power. We're fulfilled when we're on mission. You say, I'm not making a whole lot of money, but boy, I love my life because I'm fulfilled because I'm on mission. For the next couple moments, we're going to take communion together. And as we take communion, what I want you to do is I want you to covenant back with the Father that you'll get on mission. As we take communion, I want you to come back to this place. You say, you know what, Lord? I, I recognize as Pastor shared some of the signs that you've gotten off mission. I got some of those signs. So I want to get back in right relationship with you. So would you do me a favor? Would you stand up? Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today. And I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.